0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The recently hired coach for Nebraska football has died, Bob Elliott. He passed away Saturday after a long battle with cancer. He was set to become an off-the-field defensive analyst for the Huskers this fall. Elliott spent 38 years as an assistant for several universities, including 11 years with the Iowa Hawkeyes. In a statement, Nebraska defensive coordinator Bob Diaco said, Coach Elliott has been a father figure and mentor to me for almost 30 years. During my life, I have met few people that possess the amount of toughness Coach Elliott had while also possessing the same amount of class. Well, I'm not putting any limits on my future, you know. Uh, The way I feel right now, I could go for a long time. I would like this to be the last place, and, uh, you know, but... We'll see how that goes. I mean, I'd like to be here for 10 years. They may you know, may have a, a cane and, and uh, crutches by then or whatever, but but I, I feel really good right now, and, and uh, I'd like to see what we can do.
1: I think we got a gem here. This guy's really, really been around the block of lots of football, seen, seen it all, love that, and he's a terrific guy. I think he'll be great with our players. His demeanor, his character, his class, it'll fit Nebraska really, really well. Um, this is a good get. Over the 2nd July in a row, the Nebraska football program embarks some tragedy, as you heard it there. Uh, Nebraska, uh, former assistant coach and now analyst Bob Elliott passed away at the age of 64. Uh, A 38-year coaching veteran, uh, as I bring in Robin Washington and Nate Klaus. A 38-year coaching veteran um, as a coordinator at at places like Iowa and Kansas State and Iowa State. And uh, spent a lot of time at Notre Dame as well. Um, you know, we hardly got to know Bob Elliott here at Nebraska, but the little that we did get to know him, you heard him, um, their talk is one really probably one of his last public interviews he did, uh, was during spring practice. And he said he wanted to be here a long time. And, um, that's how fast things turned. Bob Elliott was on the road recruiting for Nebraska as late as May. Um, and at that point things turned, And here by early July, um, Bob Elliott passed away in hospice care with his family back in Iowa. Robin, um, you know, it's an interesting situation because he was really only here for a short while. I feel like this is more of an Iowa story. Uh, but still, somebody that had some impact on this Husker football program in just a short time.
2: Well, definitely. I mean, clearly, you know, had a very short, uh, you know, time here. But in that short amount of time, um, you know, he, he it kind of shows just um, why he is so regarded and highly respected in this field that he was able to make the impact he did. Um, in, in such a short window. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the players were, were still kind of getting to know him. But um, every interview you did with a defensive back um, after practice during the spring, um, they had nothing but rave reviews for him. Um, you know, they they just praised his ability to be a teacher. And, you know, despite the, the age gap, you know, with, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids, he was really able to connect with guys and teach in a way that they really responded to. And, um, you know, I think you, you see more of a reflection of just, you know, how much he meant, um, to everyone he crossed paths with. When you look, you look at the reaction from former Iowa players, former Notre Dame players, and maybe for, I'll, more than anybody, um, Bob Diaco. I mean, that relationship there uh, was about as strong as it gets when it comes to the, you know the the college football coaching brotherhood. Uh, so you know, ser- seriously, a sad deal, um, and the fact that Nebraska has to go through something like this for the second year in a row, um, it just d- doesn't seem fair.
3: Yeah, I mean, to me, the the two things that stand out about Bob Elliott were really the first two things that uh, uh, a current Notre Dame staff. Uh, assistant told me about him and, and, the, and one was that he's got a ton of energy and then he acts way more like a 40 year old uh, than he does a 64 year old and that he uh, connects very well with his players and then also that um you know he's a terrific football mind, and, and you could tell that from just talking with him. That uh, that he had an awful lot of experience, was very good at teaching uh, and connecting with these kids, and um, and and really kind of you know I guess just loved the game of football. So uh, it, it's definitely a, a tough loss, and uh, and what a fighter! I mean, this guy when you l- really dig into his his story and his path, I mean, this guy. Um, you know, it went through an awful lot and and overcame an awful lot and and finally uh, finally succumbed to to the cancer.
1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show as you remember the life of uh, Nebraska assistant and analyst Bob Elliott. Um, and you know, guys, what I thought was really interesting is not only was he in line to be the successor to Hayden Fry before getting sick in 1998. I mean, he legitimately. Uh, probably had that job uh, before he had a withdrawal uh, because of his medical issues back then. And then Kirk Ferentz came into the fold. Bob Stoops is also in the mix for that job. Uh, I mean, th- th- that just really puts into perspective how well thought of he was. But even at Kansas State, when the Wildcats won the Big 12 title in 2003, Bill Snyder only lasted, I think, two more years after that. There was a thought that he could be Bill Snyder's successor at Kansas State as well uh, from a lot of Wildcat fans. So that's how highly regarded he is. I mean, he was almost overqualified to be just the safeties coach at Nebraska. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's too bad that obviously Nebraska and the players and the fan base here, um, they weren't able to really – you know have Bob Elliott around here um, because he really wanted to finish his career at Nebraska
2: yeah one thing that really stood out to me was just the amount of insight he was able to give you in one short post-practice interview session I mean he just had a way of explaining things and going into detail and giving analysis on players uh, that really revealed a lot and kind of just informed us uh, as media members and um kind of through that through the fan base and um, you know just just losing that I mean (laughs) that's certainly um, you know a a very small uh, issue in this but it's definitely you know something else that we're losing out on but um, you know uh, like like you we've talked about a bunch of times I mean just um, the the credibility that he had um, built up over the last almost four decades um, and what he's been able to accomplish as a head coach it's going to be impossible to replace that that type of knowledge and uh, for Nebraska not to have that type of resource you know on staff, you know, whether it's a full-time coaching position or an analyst role, um, it's a loss no matter how, how you chalk it up.
1: And this will also be the 2nd July in a row. Uh, the Husker football program has embarked on tragedy last year on July 22nd. Um, the Husker football program and Husker Nation um, lost wow. Sam Fultz in a tragic car accident in Wisconsin. And now this Bob Elliott thing, I think obviously we'd all agree this is kind of a lesser impactful deal as far as how it will affect the current players. Um, I think if anything we, we discussed, this is more, it probably affects Bob Diaco as much as anybody, um, you know, because of their relationship. But still, um, I wrote this in my three two one one this week. I don't remember a time ever where Nebraska has lost, you know, this type of stuff in one year. I mean, the only player I can remember them losing before this was Brooke Barringer. and his career was technically over at that point. He was done at Nebraska. Uh, They've never lost a current coach like this either, and it's all happened in a year, which makes this a very unique situation.
2: Yeah, losing current players and current coaches is is different than – um, you know, having somebody you know that, that previously played or coached here, uh, it, it it hits you a little bit differently. And yes, um, while you know Elliot was only here for a few short months and you know was just starting to get to know those players, I mean, there's there's no doubt there's going to be some form of toll. Um, especially with just how recent, you know, the this team had to go through the Sam Foltz tragedy, and, and I think there's guys that are still aren't over that, and so to add, you know, having to go through this on top of that, it's one more hurdle that this team has to face before fall camp even starts.
3: Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, if anything, this loss may even kind of drudge up some some of the feelings of of losing Sam last summer, and and uh, so if. Even that small aspect is is definitely something that uh, is is a storyline, unfortunately, for for this team and for this coaching staff.
1: we got a full show here on tap. Uh, In our next segment, we're going to hear from Tom Cakert of HawkeyeReport.com. He was very close to Bob Elliott from all his years in Iowa, and and, um, it's really almost more of an Iowa story. I I wrote this, that he's more – of the Charlie McBride, Milt to Iowa fans, as Bob Elliott had that kind of impact over his time there, um, if not greater, uh, because of his father, um, who who hired Hayden Fry, who hired a lot of great Hawkeye coaches um, in his time uh, in Iowa City as the athletic director. Then we're going to discuss uh, Big Ten Media Days. We're getting closer to that. Nebraska selected their players. Uh, We're going to go through our top 40 Husker list. We began that ranking uh, breakdown. And then Nate Klaus will give us the latest on recruiting. That's all next in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show.
0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker
1: Online Show. As we've talked about the, the tragic death of Uh, former Nebraska assistant coach um, and analyst Bobby Elliott uh, but really more known for his time at Iowa uh, where at one point he was looked at maybe as a successor uh, to Hayden Fry before uh, getting his first uh, bout with cancer in 1998. We wanted to bring in um, one of our good friends from Iowa to talk more about Bobby Elliott and and kind of the impact uh, we're bringing in here. Tom Cakeart, publisher of HawkeyeReport.com. Tom, uh, first of all, I know you knew Coach Elliott very well, and, and, and a lot of Iowa fans did. So, uh, sorry for your loss of Coach Elliott, because I know he meant a lot to the Hawkeye fans.
4: Yeah, he, he really did. Um, you look at his family, his father, uh, Bump Elliott, who's, um, who was the athletic director until 1991. Uh, and, uh, you know, Bump, you look at his dad and what his dad did at the University of Iowa from uh, uh, you know, over a 20-year span, hired Hayden Fry, hired Dan Gable, hired Lou Dolson, Dr. Tom Davis, C. Vivian Stringer. I mean, you look at how, the, and, you know, that that's kind of the, in a lot of ways, a golden era for University of Iowa's athletic program, and it was because of uh, Bump Elliott and, Um, You know, his his son, uh, obviously Bobby, uh, played at uh, Iowa City High School and was a star there, played for the the Hawkeyes in the not-so-good era, and eventually got into coaching and kind of paid his dues, bounced around a little bit, and then came to the University of Iowa, coached under uh, Coach Fry, and and, uh, worked his way up to being the defensive coordinator. And, you know, we're sitting in 1998 and you know Hayden's getting you know his health is is not as strong as it used to be and uh, he decides to retire but it's also at the same time where the, the first brush with cancer comes for Bobby and um, has the uh, blood cancer uh, diagnosis and has to deal with that and there are a lot of people myself included who thought that Bobby would be the odds-on favorite to be the next head coach following coach Fry. And, you know, you had Bob Stoops name out there as well, uh, obviously. And, you know, his links to the university of Iowa are also legendary. And um, Bobby had to take himself out and Bob Bowlesby was the athletic director at the time. And he went in and talked to uh, Mr. Bowlesby and, and uh, said that he would, he couldn't be a candidate with his health. And boy, you, you just wonder if he would have been healthy how different Iowa might have been, uh, you know, and it's worked out with Kirk Ferentz and it's been a really successful run for, for Kirk. And, um, you know, I was fortunate for that, but you always wonder what would have been different. How would it have been different if uh, Bobby wouldn't have gotten sick?
1: We're talking here with Tom Kaker, publisher of HawkeyeReport.com about the life of, Uh, Bobby Elliott, who coached at Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas State, Iowa State. He's really touched a lot of different programs, uh, Tom. And I think what's interesting, we talked about this when Bob was taken off the road back in May. Um, How fast did this turn? I mean, because this is a guy that was recruiting in the spring evaluation period in mid-May. And here we are um, in early July um, talking about his his funeral. I mean, it's really unbelievable um, how quick this turned on Bob Elliott.
4: It is, and it just, you know, it shows how what, what a tough guy this guy was and what a survivor he was um, because he's had to battle this more than one occasion. I mean, you know, obviously this wasn't the first time um, he had it at Iowa, had the Notre Dame, uh, came back when he was at Iowa State, um, you know, had some battles there uh, with his health, and, and you could never tell based on his energy, because every time – and you guys got to experience that when he came out there this spring, and then in the winter when he was there. Um, just a boundless level of energy and passion, and the players that play for him. You know, I've retweeted a lot of former players and um, you know, seen some reactions on Facebook from former players that uh, played under him that uh, revere him. And rightfully so, because he's just such a dynamic and engaging guy. I've got a really cool stat for you that the Iowa State Sports Information guy tweeted out: the the Cy Hawk game, the Iowa State game, is the biggest game in the state, and um, every year. And Bobby's been on both sides of that. He was, you know, an assistant uh, for uh, Dan McCartney when he was uh, at Iowa State for several years, and. In the games between Iowa and Iowa State, that Bobby was the coach on that side, that team was 16 and two wow. in those games. So you just, you just, I mean, just speaks to his passion, his, um, you know, his his ability to get teams ready to play, and the success that he had in the, in that series.
1: We're talking to Tom Cakehart as um, we reflect on the life of Bob Elliott, but also. Uh, we're, we're getting ourselves ready now here for the start of fall camp. Tom and uh, Big Ten media days here will start up on July 24th and 25th um, in Chicago. Is Iowa Monday or Tuesday? Iowa is on Monday. Monday, and uh, so they'll be day one. Nebraska's day two. Um, you know, what what are you kind of looking at as we get ready to go out to Chicago this this week? What what are you kind of looking at um, from the big storyline perspectives uh, for Iowa?
4: You know, the the big storyline yesterday was obviously. Some of the guys that, that weren't going and one of those guys that's not going to Chicago is Akram Wadley. I was a uh, leading rusher from last year and, you know, he gets some mention. For, I'm sure he'll be on like the Doke Walker list and all those different things. And he's obviously their top playmaker and uh, they're, he's kind of the biggest name on offense and uh, they're taking two other offensive guys. And he's a senior and Kirk France has traditionally taken basically all seniors. Josie Jewell is the first junior that ever uh, went uh, to Big Ten Media Days under Kirk Ferentz that, uh during his tenure. So, um, And Josie's coming back this year, but he decided to take Sean Walsh, uh, an offensive guard, and uh, Matt Vandenberg, who's returning from uh, breaking his foot twice. So that became kind of a big story yesterday as we talked to Akram. But I, I think the big story is probably going to be Kirk, who's your starting quarterback. You know, he – They went left spring with uh, kind of a two-headed monster and no decision. So uh, I think that's probably the preeminent story going into Chicago and probably the story that will be discussed most in
1: Chicago. Yeah, I found it interesting, too, you talk about guys not coming. Um, uh, Barkley from Penn State, their quarterback McSorley, and then J.T. Barrett. I mean, arguably the three leading candidates for Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year also will not be in Chicago.
4: Yeah, and you probably you might put Wadley fourth on that list of Big Ten offensive player of the year candidates, uh, and none of those guys are going to be there. And it's almost like the starless uh, Big Ten media days. And, and I don't track it close enough to know what uh, the other schools are doing if they're not bringing their um, top, you know, senior guys or or most name recognized guys. But uh, boy, it just it. That really struck me yesterday, especially Penn State, not bringing either Barkley or McSorley because those guys are, are, are legitimate. Uh, and, and, you know, Barrett, all those guys are legit Heisman candidates. I mean, they just really are. They're on probably the shortlist short list top 15 going into the year of Heisman
1: candidates. Well, and think about this. I mean, it's so hard to get to State College. So for a lot of national guys, this is their one chance. Maybe they would have had to interview those guys in person uh, because you know how it is after a game. It's hard. Um, to sometimes yeah. get get much of an interview. And, you know, during the week, I, Penn State was always very limited, kind of like Iowa, what they gave you. So this that was kind of usually your one chance to get some of those guys.
4: Yeah, and, and I don't see a bunch of national media traipsing up to uh, State College to go to Penn State Football Media Day to get any time with these guys either. And, you know, it's just not the same as doing a, a, a phone or interview that maybe the Penn State Media Relations people could set up. It's just – it's weird that the, maybe, maybe they'll change it and kind of squeeze some of the coaches a little bit more and say, Hey, you got to bring the star power with you to, to Chicago. We're highlighting this conference and we're selling this conference, but um, you know, sometimes coaches want to just reward guys for uh, being, you know, quiet team leaders and, and bringing them and, and highlight them, getting, getting them that experience. But well, yeah, I think you always got to bring your stars.
1: Mike Leach was probably the worst I've ever seen though. When we were in the big 12 at Texas tech, he would literally go out of his way to bring random guys and leave like Michael Crabtree and his quarterback and all the studs back home. And that you used to always get a similar deal to state college. You couldn't, you couldn't really get to Lubbock very easily. So you wanted to get Michael Crabtree or, or his quarterbacks, um, who whoever they were those years at big 12 media days.
4: Yeah. It's just uh, a non-decision, but uh, you know, we'll deal with it and, get through those couple days, and uh, and then get ready for the start of camp.
1: Well, Tom, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Chicago. I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll grab a beer and catch up out there as well. But uh, thanks again here for joining us here on the Husker Online Show. Okay, thanks
4: for having me on, Sean.
1: All right, much more we come back here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to
1: the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says we're getting closer to heading out to Chicago. Big Ten Media Days will take place on Monday, July 24th and Tuesday, July 25th at the McCormick Place in Chicago, the Hyatt Regency Hotel, where it's traditionally been almost every year. I think a couple years they moved it to a different location, but it's kind of the big convention center in Chicago. And every Big Ten team uh, is allowed to bring three players to represent their program along with their head coach. Uh, Nebraska made their announcements here this past week. Uh, quarterback Tanner Lee, cornerback Chris Jones, and linebacker C- Chris Weber—the um, selections—and I don't think there's a surprise on Chris Jones. Um, I think Weber, you know, was not a wild card, but they could have went in a lot of different directions. You had some seniors like Demorne Pearsonell, kicker Drew Brown, even Joshua Kalu could have been an option. But I think when you look at what this defense guys is going to look like under Bob Diaco. Chris Webber is going to be um, a huge part of it. I mean, somebody that they probably expect to have over 100 tackles this year.
2: He's going to be the quarterback of that defense, and Bob Diaco even said as much this spring. I mean, he's the guy that's going to be making all the calls uh, pre-snap at the line, uh, making adjustments not only on the D-line with the linebackers, but also communicating with the safeties in the secondary. So there's going to be a lot on Chris Webber's plate, and if there's one guy on that defense that I think is more than capable of handling that responsibility, it's him. Um, he is an extremely bright player um, and pretty darn good football player as well I mean we saw in limited action especially when Josh Banderas was hurt Um, he can make plays he was kind of a tackle machine registered double digit tackles several times Um, and so I mean like you said Sean I think that he's kind of one of those dark horse guys that could be in for a huge season especially uh, when you look at three four defenses those middle linebackers just eat up tackles Um, they got the D line that kind of uh, take on the blocks and those linebackers run free and put up a whole bunch of tackle numbers so Chris Weber is one of those guys that, you know, has a legitimate chance to reach triple double tackles when all said and done. Well,
3: the thing for me was you know kind of going back to last spring or even winter conditioning Chris Weber was one of those 11 captains that that kind of ran winter conditioning and held held their own quote-unquote team responsible for for their workouts and everything so I think that kind of gave us a glimpse into some of the leaders on on this squad and then after what we saw in the spring where Chris Weber became like you said Robin the, the quarterback of that defense and, and a guy responsible for making all those calls um, you know I think that the Makes total sense that he's one of the the representatives that's going to be going to Chicago for Big Ten Media Days.
1: Yeah, Weber doesn't necessarily have the size of a Josh Bandaris. Maybe he's a step slower than a Josh Banderas, but he just tends to be in the right place, right time. And I think in a three-four um, kind of where he's going to be inside, playing kind of that inside read position, um, it's going to be a really good fit for his skill set.
2: Yeah, and being having a nose for the football and football. Instincts uh, can take you a long way, especially at the linebacker position. And I'm not putting him anywhere near the same category as levante david but that was one of levante david's biggest strengths is you know a lot of times he was not in the right place uh, especially with the way the defense was working out but he just had that playmaking ability to where he could recover and just go make a play and i think chris weber kind of has that that uh, intangible to him to where you know not only is he going to be able to make plays but more often than not he's going to be in the right place and like i said that sets up pretty well for a big season
1: you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready for Big Ten Media Days. And then the other announcement as far as who's going is Tanner Lee. And, you know, this is something I, I thought about a lot um, over the last month. I mean, who will they take? Uh, I, I I always said, you know, I thought Tanner Lee made sense to take because you named him the starting quarterback, but he's yet to play a down at Nebraska. Um, so there are some coaches that maybe go the other way. Yeah, we think he's going to be good, but he hasn't played a down yet. Can he handle dealing with all of the reporters and questions, despite the fact he really hasn't played yet at Nebraska. Well, I think Tanner Lee's different. I mean, he's mentally mature. You don't have to worry about the moment being too big for him. I think he's already proven how professional and classy he's going to be. And um, I really like the decision, guys, of of Mike Riley uh, having Tanner Lee represent this program, because let's be honest, if this thing is going to work, Tanner Lee is going to be the reason why.
2: No doubt about it. And you gotta tip your hat to Mike Riley for, for pulling the, the the trigger on that one. Uh you know, there's he could have gone the safe route and like you said, brought a Drew Brown or, you know, some some safe player, but Um, this is a football staff that has done a lot to generate the hype train that is in full steam uh, behind Tanner Lee right now. And so if you're going to do that and make those comments publicly about how good you think this guy can be, you better, you know, put him in the spotlight. And I think the rest of the Big Ten is going to learn a lot about Tanner Lee as, you know, the the media outlets from other teams and um, from around the conference are going to start looking up as to who this guy actually is because I still think outside of Nebraska, Tanner Lee's kind of an unknown and people are kind of you <laughs> you know, still labeling that quarterback position as a huge question mark for Nebraska when uh, people like us that have seen it, uh, you know, they, they feel a lot better about the the future of the quarterback position here. So um, the good on Nebraska for putting Tanner Lee out there. And like you said, Sean, I think he's going to handle himself beautifully. Um, he's, like you said, uh, wise beyond his, year, his years and uh, is going
3: to be able to handle himself uh,
2: in a really professional manner.
3: Well, and that's the thing. I, I think you you know exactly what you're going to get from Tanner Lee. It's not like, um, you know, he, he's yet to start again. Game at Nebraska, but it's not like he doesn't have any experience handling the media or or being the guy. And and you saw that, um, you know, a little bit this past spring. Any time that he was in front of the media, you you got the sense, okay, the, this guy is experienced. He's smart. He knows how to handle himself, and uh, he's definitely in control. And I I think that um, you have to tip your hat with how the staff handled the quarterback competition this past spring, and then when they did name him the starter, they essentially handed the keys over to him and said okay you're you're the man now and and i think uh it would have been you know maybe contradicting yourself a little bit if you didn't send him uh to chicago to to represent the team because he is the guy i I think he's he's been uh, the guy this summer and and uh um you know now he's going to be the guy in chicago and and for the rest of the season
1: well and speaking of players not going to chicago arguably the four best offensive players in the big 10 will not be there jt barrett who probably is the preseason offensive player of the year right now by a good margin, uh, I wouldn't say good margin, but by most people's estimation, with Ohio State being a predicted playoff team by a lot of preseason polls, will not be there. I don't know the reasoning. He's been there before. Maybe they just said, let's bring in a new guy. Uh, then Penn State, um, Chase McSorley, their quarterback, um, who you know led them to a Big Ten title. And then their running back, uh, Barkley, who's a Heisman candidate, will not be there. And then Akram Wadley, Iowa's running back, who's a first-team All-Big Ten potential running back. Um, very interesting approach by other coaches in this league not to bring arguably four of the best players on offense to meet with the media.
2: Yeah, with, with Ohio State, I think they're okay uh, just because, I mean, you're still bringing in, you know, an All-American in Taequann <laughs> Lewis, uh, maybe the best center in college football in Billy Price, and, you know, one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten in Chris Worley. So, I mean okay people can probably deal with that and like you said JT Barrett he's done a lot of interviews over the years so I mean I don't know how much more you're going to garner from him uh, but Penn State caught a lot of heat and deservingly so uh, for a program that you know wants to hype itself up as um, you know obviously you're the returning Big Ten champs and you're one of the one of the favorites uh, to win it again this year to not bring your star quarterback Trace McSorley and your Heisman Trophy arguably front runner running back in Saquon Barkley uh, that, that's not a good look um, yes Marcus Allen, their safety, is one of the better safeties in the conference. And Jason uh, Cabinda is you know, a good linebacker. But they're not nearly at the level of either of those two guys. Those those two players in McSorley and Barkley are the faces of your program. And if you're going to hide them for whatever reason, whatever your reasoning may be, I think it's, it's just dumb. And it kind of shows just kind of how weird this media event can be because sometimes coaches uh, have a little bit too much uh, input on on how things are handled. Well, and
1: sometimes coaches and I don't know if Nate you agree or disagree. Like James Franklin is some somewhat about himself at times. He likes the spotlight to be on him, and maybe yeah. this is a way to keep the spotlight on James Franklin over other than his two Heisman candidate players. Well,
3: uh, and that very well could be. I mean, I don't know if this is a case of Franklin overthinking things by you know, trying to hide these guys or trying to you know, take some pressure off of them or, or whatever, or maybe he's just wanting more of the spotlight. I don't know. But if I'm Saquon Barkley, I'm kind of upset because what you want from your – from your team from your program your school is to kind of have someone backing you and 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 kind of you know hyping hyping that heisman train and and kind of getting getting the ball rolling there and and what better opportunity to do that than to go to big 10 media days and and you know in every interview be, be have your head coach be bringing it up and and being able to to talk with the media yourself and, and you know kind of getting to know the media better um you know for that heisman for that push for the heisman so uh yeah, If I'm Barkley, I'm kind of upset about this move, to be honest with you.
1: All right, well, well, plenty of media day talk uh, getting you ready in our next week's show, but I uh, just wanted to give you a taste of things to come as the the players were announced here this past week. When we come back, we're going to delve into our top 40 Husker list. Uh, we've got that uh, going this week as um, our first 20 players, players 21 to 40, uh, have all come out. We'll give you our thoughts on the list next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. As we are getting
1: closer to the start of fall camp, Nebraska opens practice up on Sunday, July 30th. That will be, I believe, guys, the earliest fall camp ever. I I don't recall fall camp ever starting in July. Um, It's, you know, with this new rule, you get 29 practices. Well, about two-a-days, that means you actually have to practice 29 days. Um, In the past... You had 29 practices over a four-week period. Now it's going to be a five-week period because the uh, the two-a-days were eliminated. So we have started our p- kind of preparation and coverage, Robin, a little bit earlier than normal. And we kicked off our top 40 Husker list as we rank um, in order. And, and we let the interns in on this. I don't know if that was a mistake, Robin. <laughs> um, but we did let the interns in um, on the rankings this year along with Greg Peterson, all of our crew that is at practice every day. That was kind of my uh, guideline. I, I want the guys on our staff that are there every day around the players, around the coaches. Uh, so we top 40 Husker lists we're gonna do 21 through 40 let's go through our first quadrant or pod here of five players
2: yeah and so it's funny you mentioned the interns because first on our list is uh JV McQuitty a true freshman wide receiver who really only made this list because um intern Matt had him ranked 33rd overall and intern David had him 36 overall uh, you Nate and myself did not rank him at all but Greg he was, he was Greg got him at 39th so just made the cut on Greg's list uh so um by the skin of his teeth, he makes number 40 on our list. And, Interns. But, you know, I mean, there's probably something to it. I mean, with the receiver position being the way it is and kind of it being up for grabs and a guy that was here this spring, uh, he's got a shot, uh, and I think he will rotate in, in in some form. Um, so he, he, he will have an impact and isn't totally out of the question of being 40th.
1: Number 39, uh, Matt Farniak on the offensive line. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, Farniak. Um, you know, he was the guy that, you know, just made your list at 40th overall. I didn't have him ranked. Nate had him at 34th. And then Greg, Matt, and David all had him at 38th. So kind of one of those guys that fit in. Um, pretty consensus with the voting and um, if anything happens at tackle I mean that depth is really thin and he will have a chance to play either on the right side or left side if if some sort of injury were to occur
1: then you got Bo Wilson at 38 Antonio Reed at 37 and Luke McNitt at 36 So that's our our bottom five and you know I think when you look at that list I mean it's a pretty solid bottom five I mean Luke McNitt's going to be a starter and and a key player on this team he's a well-respected guy at fullback Antonio Reed might be the starting dime this year Bo Wilson's still battling with um, Tanner Farmer right now for a guard position and Farniak as you mentioned is a play away and McQuitty's a wild card at receiver but that's actually not a bad bottom five Nate when you look at it
3: no it's really not and I think I want to say in past years you know the bottom five were either comprised all of walk-ons or (laughs) of incoming freshmen um, you know and, and us kind of placing a lot of expectations on on guys who are going to have to step up and play right away so i think that's an indication that the talent level the overall depth is is getting better on this team
1: robin what do you got next for the the next five players yeah with
3: 35
2: through 31 um, 35th on our list was Kean williams and um, nate i want you to chime in on this one because you were far and away the highest on him uh, you had him 22nd overall sean had him 33rd I item 39th greg thirty sixth. david 37th and matt didn't rank him at all so uh give your Reasoning why Kian Williams is number twenty-two on your list?
3: Well, I, f- I mean, first and foremost, he's the son of a coach. Uh, I, I think he probably knows the offense as good as anybody, knows the position as good as anybody, and I think he's going to be uh, a big impact guy at that slot receiver position here. And, and you're going to have uh, Stanley Morgan Jr. and, and Demorne Pearsonell on the outside with him at that slot position. I, I think that he is going to be a guy that that has a lot of production there. Uh, And, again, knows that spot as well as anybody on the team. Yeah, next up on the list, two true freshmen again. Um, 34 was DeAndre
2: Thomas, the freshman defensive tackle, uh, and then Avery Roberts, the true freshman linebacker who really made a splash this spring. Um, both those guys came in um, pretty much consensus uh, at those spots on our voting, and um, I think you could make a case, strong case for both those guys playing right away, Sean.
1: Yeah, I think DeAndre Thomas for sure plays at one of those defensive end spots. I don't know if he's going to be on Freedom or Carlos Davis' side, but – um, I think he's going to be a player and then Avery Roberts in my opinion is going to be groomed to succeed Chris Weber um, where after Chris Weber kind of gets it done this year he plays a lot of special teams and gets some you know quality reps I, I really think Avery Roberts will be poised to be a sophomore starter in this program and play a lot as a true freshman.
2: Well then a 31 and 30 uh, actually sorry it's a tie for 31 overall between two wide receivers uh, J.D. Spielman and Brian Reimers and um, you know that was kind of a mixed bag there. Uh, you know, Greg didn't rank Brian Reimers at all. Um,
1: Lincoln you know, East guy, Greg didn't rank the Lincoln East hey, guy. I, I,
2: and you know, I had him at twenty eighth overall. Matt, so was, what did Matt have him at? Matt had him at twenty fifth, by far the highest. So that the East bias definitely came into play there. <laughs> they're like
1: classmates or one year apart, maybe or
2: yeah, uh, something like that. I know they're friends, but and then Spielman, kind of the same deal. You know, Nate, you didn't rank him at all, and oversight. I, I, yeah, I think you self. you clarified that it was just kind of a, a Percocet induced <laughs> oversight.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was there were a lot of those. I mean. I I forgot um, Luke Gifford, and I had to put him back in. Yeah, yeah.
2: so it's, it's one of those deals when you get all those names together, mm-hmm. sometimes guys get left out, so totally understandable. Um, I had Spielman at 31st, Sean, you had him at 38th, um, Greg 33rd, Matt 31st, and then David had him all the way up at 24th. So um, clearly a wide ranging of votes there um, for two wide receivers that I think uh, are going to have to play a role, whether it be strictly at wide receiver or also on special teams with, with Spielman.
1: Yeah, Spielman is, is one of the harder guys for me to read because I really think he could be much better than that. But I just look at the other receivers they have. I mean, Stanley Morgan, DeMorna Pearsonell, and then the Tyjon Lindsay factor, Keon Williams. Um, where is he going to factor in? How many touches can they get him? Can he get all-purpose touches? And I think that will be his role more often than not, where jet sweeps, mm-hmm. kick returns. Um, they'll find ways to get him the ball, Nate.
3: Yeah, they have to. Um, I, he was one of the guys that impressed the most on the scout team last year. I think he turned a lot of heads, um, you know, on a weekly basis last year. Obviously, I think he was maybe co MVP on the offense last year, uh, along with Tanner Lee or something like that. But um, yeah, he's going to be a guy. They're, they're going to have to find a way to, to get the ball in his hands, especially in the open field, whether it be on special teams or or drawing up uh, plays on offense.
2: Well, moving on uh, to the the group of twenty six through thirty. Um, Another kind of uh, varying vote-getter comes in number 30, Michael Decker, the center. Um, you know, Nate, you didn't vote for him at all. I had him at 40th, so he just made the cut on my list. Sean, you had him at 27th. David had him at 23rd. So, um, you know, clearly some varying opinions there, and I guess, uh, you know, maybe I'll start off. Uh, I, I just with uh, He had an opportunity this spring to lock that center job up and just didn't do it uh, to the point where Cole Conrad got moved in from tackle to center. And right now, if I were to guess, I'm putting Cole Conrad as your starting center. So um, a disappointing uh, spring for Michael Decker, all things considered. I wouldn't
1: call it disappointing, though. I think he made a lot of physical gains, and it's just a matter still of getting the best five guys. And Cole Conrad was a starter last year. Um, There are five guys that started on the line last year, and those five guys will be starting right now if you put Conrad at the center. So it's just a matter of you've got a veteran. But yeah, Decker, um, he is a wild card because he is a play away from being on the field because if another injury happened at tackle, Cole Conrad could move back back out to tackle, and I think that's what they really want him to be is kind of that versatility Swiss oh, yeah. Army knife um, that can, anytime there's any kind of movement, you can move Cole Conrad anywhere.
2: That's what he was last year. He was the starting tackle, top backup tackle, uh, not a number two center, and uh, probably would have worked in at guard too, but... Um, Next up, there's another tie uh, for 28th between punter Caleb Lightborn and linebacker Marcus Newby. And, you know, Lightborn was kind of an interesting guy. Um, You know, David had him at 40th, I had him at 35th, and then Sean and Nate, you had him at 26th and 27th. And Marcus Newby, uh, also, you know, he was kind of a a little bit more in the pack where he was in the uh, as high as 16th and as low as 23rd.
1: Yeah, Newby's one of those those steady guys, he's felt like he's been here for about 10 years and... Um, how he transitions in this three four will be very interesting. And,
2: and last up, you know, Muhammad Berry uh, came in at number twenty seven, and then twenty six was Mikhail Wilbon, our so our first running back out of that three headed trio. Uh, with with Wilbon, I think he's going to have a chance to make plays. Obviously, he's a lot of competition with Trey Bryant, Devante Zigbo ahead of him, and then Muhammad Barry really blossomed this spring, and I think he's
3: going to benefit as much as anyone in that move to the three four defense. Yeah, and he's a guy for me. I think um, you know with the noise that he made at the end of spring last year uh, I think he falls perfectly right on this list and at the end of the year if you were going to re-rank these guys he could be a guy that even uh, deserves to be a little higher all right, we're running out of time here, so we've got to move along through
2: 25 through 21. 25th was Devine Zigbo. He was a guy that, you know, Sean, you had him 30th. Nate and I, we had him in 18th. So um, a lot of unknowns around what his role is actually going to be. And then 24th was Luke Gifford, uh, a guy that, you know, like Muhammad Barry, I think has thrived in this 3-4 defense. And there's a chance that he could uh, pass Marcus Newby up for that starting outside linebacker job, um, especially with the big spring he had. 23rd was Khalil Davis. Uh, you know, obviously he, he's factoring in uh, behind Mick Stoltenberg. At that nose tackle spot. And, um, you know, with Nick's Nick's, uh, injury history, I think he's got a chance to play um, quite a bit this year. Um, And we'll rotate in regardless. And then our highest true freshman on the list, Tajon Lindsay, checks in at number 22 overall, Uh, the heralded wide receiver. um, Basically made the top 25 or top 26 in everybody's votes. And intern Matt had him all the way up at number 11 overall. Oh, I thought
1: big baller David had him higher.
2: Nope, David had him at 26. So Matt Matt is all about Tajon Lindsay (laughs) and uh, 21. David Neville, uh, starting right tackle, who, um, you know, had a decent spring. But, you know, he's going to have to continue to play well um, and finally live up to the hype that we've been waiting for him to, to show uh, over the past four years. Yeah, Nate, as
1: we wrap it up, your thoughts on Tyjon Lindsey at 22? Uh, I mean, it looks like he's going to basically be right with the Mornay personnel at, at that one receiver. And, you know, assuming Stanley Morgan is suspended for maybe one game we don't know that but that's kind of the thought process he could get a real opportunity week one um you know just with the receiver situation
3: yeah i think he's going to have plenty of opportunities to see the field early and often and and he's a dynamic player i mean this kid is different and and i think that he's probably i mean you can make an argument that he's the most dynamic player that nebraska's brought in in quite some time so uh he's going to make his presence felt early and often this season
1: All right, when we come back, we're going to ship the talk back over to recruiting. When Buki talks, people listen. Nate Klaus has more uh, from Buki as he said some very interesting things this week to us in our uh, three-and-out recruiting column. That's next here as we wrap the show up. You're
0: listening to Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here
1: of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we are talking some Husker recruiting and the opening now in the books. It's kind of the coaches' period, though, Nate, uh, where things are still dead when... When can schools go back to hosting camp uh, visitors on campus?
3: I think it's this this coming weekend is when you know things really will will pick up again with recruiting when kids can start um, you know taking visits again and, and coaches and colleges can host uh, unofficial visitors on their campus and whatnot. So I mean it is a little bit of a dead period. Uh, there's obviously still a lot of recruiting that happens. You know communication between prospects, Twitter, and coaches. or whatever, and, yeah. yeah, through Twitter or texting or whatever. But uh, just no. No in-person contact as far as unofficial visits go. So, um, and it is—it's a good little break for recruits, and obviously, it's a good, nice little break for the coaches. Who, I mean, really, this is the only probably two-week stretch of the year that they really uh, can spend time with their families and, and kind of... Uh, it's
1: the Florida timeshare rule. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> where you
3: kick your feet up a little bit and, and go go uh, visit your own timeshare in Florida or or uh, visit someone else's that's in the coaching community.
1: You're listening here to the Oscar Online Show as we talk Husker recruiting storylines. Nate, the opening took place uh, in Oregon. It's Nike's Uh, Big recruiting event, and, you know, both rivals um, and Adidas and then Nike um, have their showcase events. Obviously, the opening's been around now for, I believe, 10 years or around that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, a lot of Husker targets, recruits, commits were there. It was probably... As big of a Husker flavor as we've ever seen, what was some of the best stuff you heard that came out of the opening?
3: Yeah, there's no question. This is the most, I think, uh, you know, the biggest opening in terms of having commits there. Nebraska had three, and Buki Radley, Hiles, Chase Williams. Um, and Joshua Moore and uh, and then there was probably about another 20 to 25 like legitimate targets that were at the opening obviously Nebraska's not going to get all those guys or, or or even half of those guys probably but there's a good number uh, of, of players that um, are very high on Nebraska's board and that are very high on Nebraska but I think the storylines the major storylines that come out of the opening were uh, I think you have to start with Buki. Um, you know he won a the db mvp of the entire camp obviously he was the the db mvp of the the orlando nike camp which is where he earned his ticket to the opening and then he went to the opening and all he did was make plays um, you know, in, in every session, he was the playmaker. Um, I, he had He was a turnover machine. Um, and he recorded, I think seven interceptions throughout the, I think the four day or three day seven on seven tournament that they had. and he took a number of those back for touchdowns, which you just don't see very often in seven on seven. Um, so I mean he was um, he was a guy, if you asked any wide receiver that was at that camp, you know, who, who the best cornerback was, uh, Buki was either the first or second guy that, that they would tell you about. So, um, and, and all he does is make plays. I mean, this kid is the total package on and off the field. And I think that, um, every camp he's been to, he's kind of validated that, that he is a, a special, special prospect. Uh, from there, you know, I, I think as far as uncommitted players, um, you know, some of the bigger news to come out of it was, uh, Micah Parsons, who says he's going to be taking an official visit to Nebraska. he's just coming off the, the heels of a, unofficial visit to nebraska for the friday night lights camp the final friday night lights camp that nebraska hosted in in june he was here for and uh and for nebraska to get him back on campus for an official visit in the fall i think is big news because uh i think a lot of people after he decommitted from penn state kind of penciled him in as an ohio state lean i still think he probably is an ohio state lean but nebraska's made up some serious ground here and and uh and don't underestimate the the bookie factor in terms of being a, a pure recruiter
1: you're listening here to the husker online show as, as we discuss recruiting storylines here as uh, fall camp about to begin nate i know there was some talk of possibly uh some july visits and maybe even some july fireworks here later on uh, what's the latest you can share on maybe visitors coming on campus and maybe some potential commits happening?
3: Yeah, well, I, I think uh, – I mean, Buki, from what Buki has told us, there are several silent commitments. Uh, he said you could count them on, on two hands. So got at least – and if you believe that, it's at least um, – uh, six, silent commits. So, I mean, I think that's pretty eye-popping to hear, uh, and no one probably would know more about it than, than Buki outside of the coaches, obviously. So, um, you know, and if you're going to point towards any of those kids uh, that could potentially be a silent commit or, or could be pulling the trigger here soon, I think it would be Christian Tutt would be, you know, number one on my list at least. Uh, he was at the Friday Night Lights camp. He's a four-star cornerback out of uh, Georgia. Uh, has told us that he's planning on making a return trip. Towards the end of July, and then he's going to be bringing his whole family, including his grandmother, out to Lincoln, uh, so that they can see things for himself. Because when he visited for Friday Night Lights, he came by himself for for that weekend or for those couple of days that he was there, uh, and then he had to leave kind of early to get back for a wedding that was taking place, and that's why his parents couldn't come on the trip with him initially. So, um, usually, when a kid flies halfway across the country twice in a matter of about a month or a month and a month and a half, uh, and he's bringing his grandmother uh, with him I think that's a pretty good sign they're not just coming to get the prime rib at Misty <laughs> exactly I think that's a pretty good sign that, uh, that Nebraska is the leader and, and probably uh, will be wrapping this thing up sooner than later and then of, of course uh, four-star defensive end Judge Culpepper has told us that he's planning on visiting uh, at the end of July but I wouldn't hold my breath on that um, and same thing with JT Daniels who's arguably the number one quarterback for the 2019 class out of California he, he's the superstar star out of modern day high school there in Santa Ana, California. And, and both he and Pepper have told us that they're planning on visiting in, in late July, but, um, I'm kind of in wait and see mode on, on both those trips at this point, but I think for sure Tut is is the guy to really keep an eye on going forward. What here. about
1: Houston Griffin? Um, I know he plans on taking his trips, but do you have any idea when he could come back to Lincoln?
3: Well, he's definitely coming back to Lincoln. Um, he has not set a date. You know, Houston, he, the way that he likes to do things typically is just kind of show up on campus. He he keeps he keeps his trips for the most part pretty close to the vest um, and and doesn't really tip his hand with uh, with a whole lot of information regarding his trips or or who his actual leader is right now but um, you know reading the tea leaves I think Nebraska is in great position here Um, now the thing is is that he and his father have been to Lincoln twice now uh, and his mother is yet to visit so the key here I think for Nebraska going forward is to get him back on campus um they have,
1: they have relatives in Omaha, correct? Correct.
3: So there's some connections here. And obviously he and Buki are, are teammates at IMG Academy. Um, and, and I think that Nebraska's got a lot of momentum going for themselves here. And, and I think that as soon as they get mother on campus, uh, that could really swing things in a big way uh, towards towards the Huskers. Well, and
1: for the secondary, they can really sell the playing time factor. When Chris Jones and Joshua Kalou are seniors, Kyron Williams is a senior Uh, I mean, there's just so much opportunity right now uh, for Nebraska um, in the secondary for playing time,
3: there is, and and he's a versatile player. I mean, he could play, he could legitimately, pl- legitimately play cornerback or safety. Uh, I think that he would fit in best as a safety at Nebraska. But um, but all these guys that Nebraska are targeting, they they can play multiple positions in the back end of that defense. Um, and and I think that the the relationship that he's built with uh, Dante Williams. Uh, combined with the growing relationship that he has with Bob Diaco are, are two major factors to really keep in mind here.
1: And finally, as we wrap it up here with Nate Klaus on the Husker Online Show, what about wide receiver Cameron Brown? He came back for the uh, Friday Night Lights in the Big Red weekend um, at the end of June. It really looked promising at that time. Uh, What's the latest you can share on Cameron Brown?
3: Yeah, and and this is an interesting situation because, you know, typically when you have a commitment that that backs off of that pledge, uh, you you know, you don't see them head back to that school. But I'm getting the sense that Nebraska is a very real player for Cameron Brown, just like he has said that they are, um, and that he could be, you know, wrapping this thing up sooner than later. I think that he wants to maybe have a decision done before his season gets started. So uh, that's something I would pay close attention to here over the next month, month and a half is, is uh, you know, if, if Cameron Brown kind of jumps back on board with the Huskers and, and I think that that's a very real possibility of happening. Alright,
1: well, lots to follow. Make sure you are on HuskerOnline.com as uh, we will keep you updated on everything you want to follow here as we get ready for Big Ten Media Days to start a fall camp and obviously
0: recruiting. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.